Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. My latest novel, Limelight, is out now. It's available everywhere in all formats with the amazing Natalie Simpson starring Atlanta reading the audiobook. If you'd like a personalised signed copy of Limelight, you can order one from the Margate Bookshop. They deliver nationwide. And let me know if you're coming to Also Festival. I'm there with Ella Bateau on the 15th of July and I'm at Prima Donna Festival with Rebecca Humphreys on the 28th of July. Now to today's guest. We're celebrating her fantastic second novel, Tough Crowd. It's the actor, comedian and best-selling author of Asking for a Friend, Andy Osho. We talk about writing about writing, Elizabeth Gilbert, the books that make us laugh, and someone who should be a creative inspiration to all of us, Andy's mum. I would love to start by talking about funny books. Can you remember the first book you read that really made you laugh? Um, the first book, it, I mean, it's going to be an obvious one because I was just listening to your last episode and I think it might be the like Hitchhiker's Guide. I think that's a classic one for people around the same age as me of like a, a world that is sort of sending up something that you might have seen like, you know, depicted seriously on TV. I don't know, like Blake Seven or something like that. Yeah, it was probably something like that. But I also remember discovering the Discworld uh, series and particularly I just remember the second book just being blown away by the skill of the writing but also just the humor of it I, I, I maybe it just appe- it appeals to me specifically like that's not my type of thing I don't really know what my my thing is but definitely like reading those Discworld books I was just like this is amazing and I think they're both such complete universes as well and it's that amazing comedy conceit which I think you know much more about than I do where you just go with it I think both writers uh, Douglas Adams and Terry Pratchett there are things that are so funny in their world and they're funnier because there are certain laws in those universes that everything follows yeah I think that's a really good observation actually I mean I probably hadn't thought of that but yeah for sure and I think as well like they weren't sending up their own worlds as well so so they weren't they weren't laughing at their own worlds in, in these books they they were they were real and honest and like but just super yeah. funny as well and and there was a lot of heart as well but specifically i'm thinking of in um, i think the second um disc world book in the series where 
you know, there's really emotional moments at times where people have to part ways and stuff like that. And and so it's definitely not just all for laughs. And I think that's when comedy is at its strongest anyways, when it's when it's grounded with like real emotion as well. Definitely. I think that teaches us so much about writing and storytelling that those moments hit even harder when you've been brought up and you've had that feeling of joy and lightness and then you're, you're raw and you're ready for the emotion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember I, I did a play and I won't name it, but... It, it was all played for laughs and uh, you know I, I said to the director I think as well it's like or maybe I said privately to somebody but anyways my point was was that the reason we're going to do very mediocrely when it comes to reviews is because we haven't got the emotion, emotional truth we got loads and loads of gags but comedy doesn't mean anything unless it's underpinned by the emotions Are there any books that you would love to adapt for the stage? I don't know how well that would work. Maybe it's just me not being able to do it. But I, I, I kind of like where they where they are. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe for film, but not necessarily for the stage. What about films? Is there anything that you'd like to to put on screen, or just like to see on screen that you haven't seen on screen? Um, oh gosh. Uh, everything. I think those mediums work better together, you know, going from adapting a book for the screen rather than even if it's into a series, not just a movie. But I just read, um, I think it's Britt Bennett's um, The Vanishing Self, uh, which was brilliant. And I, as I was reading, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is a movie. How are they going to do this? Because it's, you know, two twins uh, set in sort of 1960s America and they're both black, but they're very fair skinned. And so one decides to pass as white. She leaves her old life and she passes as white and so I'm thinking how are they going to cast this it's going to be really you know what I mean like I could really it was very visual the the storytelling and so um, that I could see but yeah I think the problem with theatre is that books are so sprawling not just internally but externally that mm. how do you contain all of that into a stage without people being really aware that they're <laughs> you know they're tr- that this staged adaptation is trying to contain this enormous you know, potentially enormous sprawling story. And The Vanishing Half is a great example because I think a lot about, is it her daughter who's acting? And there's a bit where they go to, they just outside of Los Angeles. It's a little while since I've read it. I might not be remembering yeah. it right, but they're doing kind of community theatre and it's going really well. And there is a sort of moment of lightness after quite a lot of tension. But I was thinking on the one hand, it would be great you could have a play within a play. But in the other, they presumably they are adapting that for screen. Oh, they, really they must be because it, I mean, someone's got to be on it. Yeah, someone. I mean, but you know, a lot of times things get optioned and then uh, you know, various reasons it, it never comes to fruition. But I really hope it does because I think that what she really managed to do so brilliantly was really skillfully weave in uh, sort of race politics, uh, American race politics, but it's applicable, uh, you know, in lots of places. But she did it with such skill. And such nuance as well. There were so many things that she included that I'm like, wow, I hadn't even thought that that's what that person would be thinking. She she really got inside the experience of somebody in that world at that time, in that specific environment. And she did it for multiple characters where you really, you know, really strongly got a sense of, yeah, I guess I, I guess I can see how that person would think like that. I wouldn't think like that because I've not, not not been through those things. But yeah, that makes total sense. So yeah, I, there's there's it's rich material for someone to adapt for sure. I think I read An American Marriage by Teori James around the same time and knew going in that it's going to be a very political book. It's about a a man who is wrongfully imprisoned and imprisoned because of the sort of endemic racism and institutional racism in America and. I was really 
surprised at how I suppose like the emotional nuance of the book mm. and the world within worlds and you know I expected it to make me really angry mm. and it did mm. but it brought up so many other feelings as well about I suppose the, the complex parts of humanity and about mm. love stories and relationships and mm. what happens when love is put under something so you know something that many of us will probably never never know yeah I think um you know I think when you're addressing big themes like that the only way to really puncture our consciousness because we're bombarded with information about all these things all the time is to really humanize the experience where it's really us reconnecting with our own humanity but but what it looks like is we're connecting with the humanity of those characters and then uh, that helps to puncture our preconceived ideas and make it really specific and you know the the message really hits home when it's just like wow I hadn't even imagined what that would be like in that that context but when they bring it together or bring it to the fore so richly then it's accessible and the message gets through I guess that's really well put (laughs) a question I always want to ask writers is can you write and read at the same time obviously not at the same time but (laughs) right are you can you have a book on the go to read when you're writing a book or do you have to keep that time separate yeah I can and I kind of I like that actually uh, I mean I have to say like for a quite a while I wasn't reading and it did overlap with working on asking for a friend and before that but now I find it kind of inspiring and as long as it's not something in a similar genre that's probably not helpful but something that's you know slightly different can give can inspire you in a different way so rather than informing your style you know your style of storytelling or something it might just it might be just the style of language or the you know the way that they the way that they've um, expressed character description physical descriptions or, or any other type of description really so so it can be really inspiring in that way but yeah I think anything in the same genre is a bit like no 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 don't infect my mind it's too close to home yeah yeah I think you're right I find it really does fuel me and that's when I'm the most drawn to rereading as well so Mm. if I've read something the first time for the story and because I want to know what happens I'll go back and try to look for clues as to how the writer has achieved what they've achieved and you know things about sort of pace and timing and language so that's when I like to nerd out. Yeah. But yeah, I think you you do want to be in a world that's very much not the fictional world that you're visiting every day at your desk. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it does, I don't have to go so far away. Like, you know, I'm writing rom-coms. I don't have to go to sci-fi or, or horror or something like that. But just not something where I'm going to subconsciously, you know, take in ideas and then they're going to filter into my work just on a practical level. I just don't want to give myself the best shot of not doing that by not reading something that's similar. But yeah, it's it just it just fuels like you say. Um, I like the way you put that because it yeah it just fuel keeps the creative juices going. For me, I think finding inspiration is about you know making doing things, taking acts that will invite her in, kind of thing. So the yeah. so so me sitting down and finding some time to read is as much of an invitation for inspiration to come as it is me actually sitting at my desk. So any any help I can get, <laughs> I'm just trying to set myself <laughs> up to win. <laughs> I'm with you there. Very mindful reading. It's it's all a call to the muse. I think. Yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about how you found your way back to reading after writing, asking for a friend and the books that you found yourself reading when you finished writing. 
Yeah, it was it was interesting because like growing up, I used to read all the time. And then when I became an actor, it slowly um, changed from fiction into nonfiction. So um, I was reading a lot of how to's, a lot of, you know, a lot of social um, politics and things like that and social commentaries and things and then and plays as well. And then it became just no time. And that went on for quite a while. And then, you know, working on asking for a friend, I was sort of drawing back on what do I remember from how books are constructed? So I had to learn a lot on the job. And then I started doing the publicity for asking for a friend. And people, you know, I do people's podcasts or radio interviews and they go, what's your favorite book? You know, what, what book do you love from childhood? And I'd be like, um, uh, <laughs> you know, I couldn't, I couldn't think because it had been such a long time since I'd been in the world of fiction, you know, just as a, just from a perspective of pleasure. So I was like, I've got to get reading again. And then I did. And then it was, you know, having this inspirational experience of just like really fine learning so much more about the writing process. I mean, I suppose I was a bit arrogant thinking, I, I know enough, I can start writing and actually underestimated how much you can glean from just absorbing and, um, and reading other people's work, whatever genre, whatever style. So it was it was that really that, that that got me back in, and a lot of times it's dictated. What I'm reading is dictated now by um, the practicalities of like, oh, I'm I'm going to be having a conversation with somebody about their book in their podcast, or I'm doing an interview with somebody and we're talking about this genre, so it'd be good to know a little bit more. Or do you know what I mean? It's kind of like mm. that, and and I almost like that in a way because it means work is curating my <laughs> to be yeah. read pile. Um, because I, I I don't know how well I would choose. Like there's so there's so many gaps in my reading, like so many classics kind of thing that it's almost like overwhelming when I think about what do I read next? So can you remember any of the books from that period, the first things to kind of start appearing on your TBR? You thought, um, I'm going to start reading again. Dialogue for Aunties really stuck in my mind because mm. it was just a really fun read. And it was that great thing that's happening now where there's a real diversity within what's on the bookshelves and it's not considered niche anymore. So it was, it's written by an American Asian writer and it's not a hand-wringing angst there is a place for, you know, writing about the trauma in a meaningful way. But this was just fun. She accidentally kills a guy and then she has to cover it up and her aunties help her do it. So, um, but but there's also a lot about uh, her specific culture as well. So that's what I really love about when you get to read things from different people from different backgrounds, because by default, you're ending up learning about their cultural experiences as well. So yeah, that was one that stuck in my mind. Um, but there's been so many yours as well, and, and Lucy Vine as well. So um, oh, cute. love Lucy Vine. Yeah. Big fans of her on the podcast. Uh, same, same. So um, yeah, it was just a nice odyssey of just uh, just this constant stream of books that, that that were coming my way. I just felt really lucky. If you loved Dial A for Aunties, then I think you'd really, really like Now You See Us by Bally Kohua Jaswell, who I think is really big in America. Uh-huh. Um and I think she'd be read more here. She's from Singapore. Uh-huh. And this is a book about three women and they all work as domestic servants and their employees, employers are all quite different. And there's a little bit of a murder mystery. I think it sort of feels a tiny bit like if you wanted to comp, Big Little Lies meets the help. But it's Ooh. so smart yeah. and sharp and kind of giddy. And I love the women so much and I love their world so much. The world building so good. But it does have 
as a really serious element. It's about, you know, people being mistreated. It's about feminism and politics and the far right, but it's all worn so lightly and it makes you gasp and it's really, really satisfying when it happens. But the story is so propulsive and it's so deftly told. I really learned a lot from it. Oh, I like the sound of that. All right, that's that's on the list. That's going on the list. I've got this sort of like um, Amazon uh, shopping basket at the moment that's on the go that is slowly getting bigger and bigger. The guy's going to need like a, a what do you call it? One of those, um, not a forklift truck. What's the small <laughs> ones? <laughs> Anyways, he's going to need um, big muscles to bring it to the door. So yeah. Be a giant box of books. That's go. one of the things I love about being a reader, that you've always got something to talk about and you can always ask people what they're reading and recommend people things. It's, it's just a conversation that keeps on going. Well, yeah, that's it. I mean, and I, I almost like, I, I almost find would find that overwhelming in, in in a sense because I feel like there's so much that I haven't read that I'll, <laughs> I mean, where would someone start with me? Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> there's so many, there's so many books to recommend. But I kind of like the idea of just going into a bookshop I do like that, you know, in the bookshop experience as opposed to just ordering online and just randomly, what should I, what classic should I read now? Or what, you know, much loved book should I, should I dive into? I like experiencing stuff after the fact as well, you know, after they've been a big, mm. a big deal. It's quite nice to come to things away from the hype of something as well. Oh, definitely. I think you can have a really intense relationship with something without ever reading it. And there's sort of so much noise and so many think pieces. And then when the dust is settled, um, which is why I'm still waiting to do that with a lot of Dickens. When the hype has died down, <laughs> exactly. I'm going to get in there. Yeah, it's, any day now, it'll calm down. <laughs> are there any kind of classics that are on your list or things that you're sort of, you know, what what is on the wish list? Well, um, Pride and Prejudice has been on the bookshelf for a really long time. And I listened to a previous episode where you were talking about it. And I, I was just like, oh, it, so it's funny, huh? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Really so that, that that's a reason to to jump in as well. I just want I just want to have a richer knowledge, a richer mm. understanding. And you know, I'm a smart smart woman in the sense of I can figure things out. But I I I want to enjoy somebody else's creativity as well, and and texts that people consider classics. And I and I have the same experience with theatre. Of you know, because I didn't go to drama school. Now I want to you know when when classics are revived, I want to go mm. and see them because I haven't I didn't have that experience of like constantly being in plays at drama school mm. for three years. So it's a sort of similar experience. So I'm. Uh, I, I could spend like a year in a in a, in a bookstore <laughs> or whatever, and I, I just I would never run out of classics that I've not read. Because I read Pride and Prejudice when I was quite young, because my mum loved it. Mm. She loves Austen, and it's because I really wanted to watch the BBC adaptation, and right. she said, "No, you must read it first. Ah. But obviously, I loved it, but also. I knew nothing of the world then. You know, I'd never been in a romantic relationship. I had many sisters, so I could get that bit. But what those women are facing and where they are in their economic position and what it was like at the time and all the really sort of subtle bits of satire, I could, I hope, understand it and enjoy it from a, you know, because Jane Austen is such a brilliant storyteller that you don't need experience of her world to live in it. But at the same time, I think it might be one of those books where, you know, when you have lived and loved and you know something about how the world works, you get so much more from it. Um, And there are things that I tried to read when I was younger and I just couldn't get my head around. And I think now a bit like um, I loved um, Us by David Nichols. Uh And 
I read it, I loved one day, and I read it when I was, um, us, I think, in my mid-twenties. And it, it's about falling out of love. It's really funny and really beautifully written, but it's this devastatingly sad story about a relationship that's run its course. And I remember thinking... Well, I don't like this. This isn't lovely and romantic and I just want them to stay together and what's going on. Right. And only now I can realise how complicated relationships are that I get it now and I wasn't ready for it before. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm just thinking, uh, yeah, there must be so many things that I've I'd read previously that I probably didn't. Because I don't, I tend not to revisit books. I, I, I feel like, oh, I got it. <laughs> I got the idea. <laughs> so then I move on to the next one. But yeah, that's a really interesting idea of just like getting so much more from it through, you know, multiple reads or even just one more. And I think possibly that's why if you're a clever teenager, Terry Pratchett, say, is 100% for you because while he is talking about those very complex adult themes in places, it's in a separate universe and it it's really like very democratic very democratic because I think all the readers are kind of going in none of them live in that universe yeah, and yeah. you're all having the same sort of world built for you and engaging in it together maybe yeah I think that's true but there is a degree of like sending up this world as well yeah. in it isn't there so I suppose yeah but I think I think probably more so than me going in uh, as a teenager and reading mm. us say I guess mm. yeah that, that there's it's more of a level playing field this is we're all new here <laughs> um, I'm really excited um that Tough Crowd is about comedy because I think that's such a, a rich and fascinating subject and I think we all want to know why we laugh and what makes us laugh and I'm trying to think of other novels I know that Dolly Alderton's new novel Good Material which I've not read yet and I'm desperate to is also kind of about that world it's about a a guy who is working as a comedian mm-hmm. and his personal life falling apart I mean obviously you know you are you are a comedian mm. and that is your world but do you have any thoughts about why that is such a rich subject and why we keep going back to it and kind of wanting to unpick it. Yeah, I mean, being made to laugh is such a, um, it's such a sort of strange alchemy. We don't really know how it happens. We don't know how come one person can say one thing and we don't laugh and somebody else can say it and then just do a little look and for some reason that cracks us all up. Or, you know, there's that classic thing of like um, Norman, um, oh, I can't remember his last name, but he was on Red Dwarf and anyway... He went on stage and he didn't speak for a good 10 minutes. And then he went, what? And the whole audience like fell apart. (laughs) So, um, you you know, there's something magical about it. And because I think in the moment we're transported, whether we're laughing, we're reading a funny novel or we're watching stand up, we're transported in that moment. So I think that's why it's so special to people. It's like you literally forget your worries. Um, but it's one of those creative endeavors where the sausage making is not fun to, for anybody to watch, and so no one no one really has anything to do with it. Do you know what I mean? The the comedians do it in like open mic nights or quietly at home, like writing their material or whatever. Uh, and so, you know, I suppose peeking behind the curtain can be interesting. Like, what is it like to be a jobbing or not jobbing, a sort of a open mic aspiring comedian? What what does the circuit look like when you're not doing live at the Apollo and mock the week? It's not on anymore. But you know what I mean? Like you're on TV regularly. How how is that? And so, uh, you know, in in a tough crowd, that's a bit of what the story is about is that this woman who's her her goal is to be on a show called um, uh, Showtime at the Athena, 
it's not a huge leap to <laughs> work out how I know that. Um, but yeah, she wants to be on Showtime at the Athena, but she can't even get her first paid gig. So, so she really is like in a, 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 the uh, early sort of elemental stages of her career. And it's kind of about her progress in that respect, but also some other stuff, life stuff as well. I mean, as is possibly obvious because I wrote one, I love books about careers and especially anything about women and ambition and women trying to find their place. And I think that's really, really satisfying to read about because when the characters start winning, I'm just rooting for them so hard. Yeah, I think as well, when you see them going through some stuff that really, I mean, cause that's the classic hero's journey, isn't it? It's just like, you know, obstacles and seeing how people navigate obstacles and seeing them fail and then win and then fail and then win. Really, as you say, it makes them, uh, makes you root for them. And with Abby, she's she's got, bare obstacles as she might say because there's <laughs> you know one of her obstacles is herself uh in you know this character is uh, has got a lot to learn about who she is and 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 her material she's gonna have this she has this really big revelation um later on in the book about the material that she's writing and um you know so that's one of the things that she has to contend with as well as a mother who is not on board you know she calls it gestering and you know being <laughs> and things like that she she can't even bring herself to sort of acknowledge that it's you know a job and it's a it's a real ambition kind of thing so yeah she goes through a lot I'm really interested in what you just said about how we get in our own way and I know you mentioned reading self-help books mm. you know when you were growing up and I'd love to talk about those because I love a good bit of self-help mm. and I think it's so interesting as well what the early examples of it that I remember finding being quite kind of, I suppose, didactic mm-hmm. in how that whole world of books has really exploded and become much more nuanced and much more interesting. Yeah, it's funny because I I, I, um, I got Mark Manson's um, The Subtle Art, uh, I think, was it The Subtle Art of Not Giving a you, Fuck or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really interesting because on the shelf near him was another book called something like How to Not Give a Fuck. So it seems like there's these stylistic sort of changes that the, the self-help sort of uh, genre goes through where they try to be really nice, they try to be encouraging, they uh-huh. talk about your trauma. And now this wave is like, listen, just don't give a fuck. Give a fuck about the right things kind of thing. I don't know if it's moving in in alignment with where we're at or we're moving with them. Do you know what I mean? We're now like, all right, I have mm-hmm. to start thinking like that. I almost wonder if those early books, like, I don't know, The Road Less Travelled and something like mm-hmm. that, which is quite handholdy and lovely, it would would that be would that be as popular if it came out today against big bold orange titles telling you to not give a fuck <laughs> so oh that's really interesting i don't know so a book i love and a former guest of the podcast um sarah knight is brilliant and her first book which is called the life-changing magic of not giving a fuck uh-huh. was meant to be a bit of a piss take about the life-changing magic of tidying up but then it became sort of sincere and I definitely recommend it if you haven't read it. And Sarah's got a fantastic series of these books. And the latest one is called Grow the Fuck Up, which I I think is possibly aimed at people about 15 years younger than me. Right. Like, no, nope, I need this. <laughs> this yeah, is good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it is, it's tough love, but it is love. She talks about how she now lives in the Dominican Republic, I think. She had a big New York job in publishing mm-hmm. and it was really stressful and high pressure and a lot. And she just thought... No, I 
not this, not for me, not anymore. And it's very good about boundaries, which I know, I feel like I talk a lot about boundaries without really knowing what they mean or Mm. how to actually construct them in a useful way. But then I go back to my Sarah Knight and she's great. Mm. But did you read The Road Less Travelled when you were on your self-help odyssey? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I I read so many of them Um, and, you know, Feel the Fear and um what was another one? Oh, D- Deepak Chopra, Seven Laws of Spiritual Success. Was that his one? It, they just, whenever they came out, I read them and I absorbed them. And I know some people are sort of cynical about self-help books, but I really think that the reason there's so many is because we're all so different. And so different books will speak to different people and they'll speak to you at different times in your life. But yeah, just on boundaries, I think that's that's an, a really important one nowadays because because you know how social media is and how society currently is, it's very easy to breach. Um, you know, people can get into your life in so many different ways, mm-hmm. and so being able and, and learning the skill of no, that doesn't work for me, or I'll tell you when I'm available, mm-hmm. or or even just I'm available, I'm not free. Those things are different. Uh, you, you know, learning to to do that for yourself, and but do it with grace. Is a, is a real art. So if there's a book that helps us do that, then bring it. <laughs> and I love that these lessons stay with us. And I think we really soak things up, the, the earlier things we read, and, you know, we keep them with us. And I feel like then, when I was growing up, that was where that sort of adult knowledge that was sort of quite, I suppose it's non-binary knowledge, that kind of how to kind of emotionally navigate your life. It wasn't really anywhere else in my life, but it was in those books. And I really wanted to soak that up. I kind of had a feeling I'd probably need that. Do you know, that's a really good point because I don't know where, if I was getting that knowledge from anywhere else. You know, I advice, there's loads of advice from people around you. It doesn't necessarily penetrate because it feels like sometimes you're just being told what to do, <laughs> told mm. what you've done wrong and then being told what you do. So sometimes I think self-help books are a way of, you know, absorbing those things that are useful to us in a way where we don't feel obliged to take on what they're what we're being told or what we're learning from them. I wonder if creative people need them especially because it is very, very rare when we tell parents and teachers, I want to be a writer, mm. I want to be an actor, I want to make something. You very, very rarely hear brilliant let's go here's what we're gonna do people sort of make a worried face and be like well think start thinking about your backup career like before you've even really named what you want to do the word backup career has usually been mentioned and so looking for those voices that are really encouraging I'm just about to start doing the artist's way properly for the first time you've done it I I have I don't know if I did the whole thing but yeah I mean it's a really it's a, it's a great journey to go on. I think I I really got a lot out of doing the morning pages, I remember. Um, I think you just have to sort of, um, you know, free form, write um, three pages in a journal every day. It doesn't matter what you write. doesn't matter if it all comes out nonsense. You just, like, write them. Yeah, I found that as I, as I wrote, sort of wisdom came through or well wisdom it was just not as dumb as I normally am so (laughs) so, sure it's very wise yeah so to relatives relatively speaking it was like wow who who is this but yeah they they were really useful it just you know it's nice to have something smart come out of you like that because it, it you're connecting with your spirit self or something like that so and it sort of takes your mind out of the the constant sort of chatter that isn't necessarily always edifying or yeah it takes you out of the chatter that isn't helping you basically so so to have 
that wisdom come through because of doing those morning pages was very helpful. I always think it's a bit like if I was cleaning a swimming pool that was mostly leaves that had been like really <laughs> neglected over the sort of autumn and winter. So my first two pages, it's just leaves and sludge yeah. and I'm so annoyed about X and I must email Y <laughs> yeah. and just, just like, oh, this is just banal and awful. And then the third page, I'm like, oh, that's something that I might want to explore. But you do, but it's really confronting which I suppose is the point of seeing like just the nonsense my brain has to kind of get out before there's anything good yeah I mean but I think that's part of it isn't it that's humanity expressing itself and and I suppose one of the things about being a human being is really accepting the what humanity what humanity really looks like and and sometimes it is sort of the petty bullshit that we have to say before we can get to the real soul soul truth kind yeah. of thing yeah i absolutely agree life is full of what ifs some awesome like what if ai could fold your laundry and some well less awesome like what if you have unexpected medical costs united healthcare can help get you covered with health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. We'll be back with Andy soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen The 52 Seductions by Betty Herbert, a memoir written by Betty about how she tries to reignite the passion in her marriage. This book is gorgeous. It's tender, funny and generous. It's for everyone who has ever read A Happily Ever After and wondered what happens next. It's one of the most interesting, kind, wise books about marriage and relationships that I've ever read. And it will probably make you want to, uh, you know. The 52 Seductions is published by Headline and out now. Now back to Andy. Are there any books about writing that you've loved or would recommend? I read Bird by Bird recently, but I... It was that bird by bird was more about just take it one step at a time, basically. That that was the kind of I think the core message there. And there was some other good stuff in it too. But unfortunately, I don't think the books like 
aged well, basically in the way that she expresses herself sometimes. <laughs> like just the, the, the descriptions that she uses of things sometimes. I've sort of winced a few times as I'm reading it. I mean, it was written, I think like mid nineties. So, you know, think about that. That's nearly 30 years ago. So um, yeah, so that, that was good. And then, you know, a lot of the time I'm reading, if I'm reading about writing, it's more from the perspective of screenwriting, mm-hmm. but it is, it is applicable but not completely, you know, but I don't think I've read a book about specifically, you know, writing a novel. I was thinking about, you know, screenwriting and I guess there are specific rules to follow in a way that there aren't quite so, obviously there are some rules you'd sort of need to follow um, if you're writing a novel, but I guess that's a a world where certain things need to, need to happen depending on the, the path you go down. Um, and I really loved bird by bird but I think that's I've heard from people who say because I guess Anne Lamott is sober and they found the they struggled a bit with the references to God and I think there's a whole other conversation to be curious about in terms of people in recovery and AA and, Mm -hmm. and God and how we feel about that and how alienating that is or isn't but I will reread it and be mindful of those sort of you know things that she says that don't quite fly or you know are quite jarring because I think that's something you know that I should definitely become more attuned to um I really loved Big Magic and it really surprised me mm. because I had a total at like, 180 on Elizabeth Gilbert when um Eat Pray Love came out and was such a phenomenon and for years I was like the only person in the world who not read it like well I'm not going ah. to like this it's not for me <laughs> and then Lots of writers that I really loved and respected and admired were going on about Big Magic and how great it was. Like, oh, I suppose so. And I just adored it. I thought it was so profound and so warm and so encouraging and so generous. I think everything she writes and says has this generosity at its core. And then I went on to read Eat, Pray, Love, which I loved. Again, there are a few bits that I was quite, taken aback by just references and things in passing that just felt a little bit like oh you wouldn't phrase it that way now yeah and I don't think it's I think it was her being a product of her time Mm because when was that I don't know if that came out in sort of the early was it nearly 20 years old yeah I mean it could possibly and and it's so I mean times change you know things move on pretty fast and so you know I've read blogs that I've written uh, you know they're not more than 10 years old and I'm just like okay I'm not reposting this (laughs) you know because it's just the the way a product of that time that's Mm. that's what that blog is but still it's like some some there's some things in here that I wouldn't want to stand by but you know big magic you're right is brilliant and I I didn't think of that as a writing book because I feel like it's just for the creative spirit, you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe I've read more writing books than than I think, because I because <laughs> I, I just think of that as like, yeah, more to, to to whatever creativity your you know is in your life, and and actually that if there isn't or you think there isn't, finding it, you know, mm. so not necessarily for somebody who's doing anything on a professional level, but mm. just like even just like because some people tell themselves they're not creative, and actually you just haven't had the room for it. Um, like my mum was, uh, you know, working nurse, mother of three, single mother of three. And then she retired and she she was teaching in um, Sunday school. 
and she said you know I just wanted to be able to like draw something to demonstrate it to the kids and I couldn't so she signed up for an art class next thing you know three years later she's got like city and guild um, qualifications she's painting on oils she's painting with oils she's painting with watercolor you know she's got we've all got these beautiful pictures hanging in our in our homes that she's painted so I think sometimes it's just a case of not having the room and big magic I think gives people permission to to make room I love that so much and I love I suppose the simplicity of it because I think sometimes if you feel like your ambition is enormous you can be crushed under the weight of it but it sounds like for your mum it was having a fairly straightforward desire Mm. and then just becoming more you know like it slowly made her world bigger yes yeah exactly that and I think it was really sort of significant because because she had worked so hard and because she had so much in her life that was all about being practical it wasn't that she wasn't a creative spirit she, I mean she just wrote a, like a life story and um she's like I'm mm-hmm. gonna write a book <laughs> so, okay okay babes <laughs> you go for it and she did um But because she had so many other concerns, there just wasn't room for it. But it wasn't not there. It was just dormant because of Mm. things that were more immediate and pressing. And I feel like, I mean, hopefully this is something that is changing. But my feminist reading of it is, I wonder if historically that has always happened more to women. Yeah, I bet. Where over time in terms of, you know, what what we've been encouraged to do and what's recognised and sort of, you know, what our values or what we, we are valued for. And, you know, I'm hoping there's a a shift, but I'm sure that there are still um, lots of women now. I'm um, doing some work with a local chapter of um, uh, U3A, University of the Third Age, and their creative writing group. And it's all, I think they're all, they're, they don't really have an age limit or restriction, but they say broadly, you're sort of over 55s and people doing creative writing and, you know, who are quite new to it or people who've always wanted to do it, but haven't done it yet and again like I suppose what we were talking about in terms of the more life experience you have the more you can get out of some books I think the more life experience you have the more you've got to bring to a creative Mm. practice yeah for sure I mean I mean, just thinking of her life story is incredible. Like reading from a you know a, a rural village in in Nigeria to all the things that she went through. So yeah, for sure. I think when people get to a particular age, they've got more to bring to the table, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. But also, I feel like what you were saying about women that I think so often we're we're expected to choose. Like it's your dreams, your creative goals, your creative aspirations, or family, this, that, and the other. Mm. Like I remember Ryan Gosling acknowledging even Men- is it Eva Mendes, his his wife or partner? I think so. Yeah, or at some point. <laughs> yeah, Ryan Gosling's partner. He acknowledged her in some awards thingy because he said that his career wouldn't be possible without her making the choice to stay home with the kids. I mean, look, I'm not. Every, you know, the point is that she's got choice. He's, he didn't make her do it, yeah. but it's just like it's it's always. Uh, women it's, it feels like it's often women that are expected to make that choice men will definitely yeah. continue to have their career women will either choose family or having a career yeah. you know or high flying career and i'm not saying also that it's not possible to have both but it's very hard for women it's harder for women than it is for men i did want to go back to your mum's life story i'd love to hear about the experience of reading it and was it emotional did you recognize bits were you surprised by bits you can you know tell me as much or as little about the facts of it as you like but I imagine it was quite an intense experience to read that 
Yeah, it, it's kind of weird because I had to put sort of two hats on as I was reading it because I read it, I, I offered to edit it for her just to help with, you know, flow and just shape. She'd never written a book before. She'd never really done any sort of creative writing as such. So um, I had to help her just on a technical level. So that hat was on. But then obviously there was the hat of being a daughter, her daughter, and reading these things that I didn't know, you know, like a lot of... Uh, yes, specifically with my dad. So she had a very challenging childhood. She was raised by two carers who were not very caring, actually, or guardians, let's say. And they basically treated her like a house girl. So she would have to do errands, but they were quite violent to, towards her. And then she um, ended up with my dad and it started out like a nice marriage, but then it kind of, he became very controlling and, you know, aggressive and financially controlling as well, financially abusive, basically. So reading all of that was quite tough. I mean, we have talked about it before, but it was quite tough, like reading the specifics of what he was like. But then having to go to my mum and say, okay, mum, you said dad did some stupid things. Can you say what stupid things? Or then, or I might say, I get that you don't want to say what they were, but could you be a bit more specific? Just, do you know what I mean? Because I can't be yeah. that vague with the reader sort of thing. So that was a really strange experience as well of like respecting her boundaries in terms of what she may or may not want to tell me, but also what mm. she may or may not want to put in the book as well. But then what was really nice actually was starting to feel like things are getting better. Okay, he's gone. <laughs> um, she's, she's, slowly building her life back ah oh, she finds the church you know and then all these kind of cool things start to happen so the, the 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 book becomes a very positive um experience as you go through it but she you know she goes through some very dark days up until that point and so as a daughter it was like I mean my ch- the chapter on my, about my dad was my least favorite to work on and then um uh, you know but as she starts to get her life together it starts to become really heartening and like uh, inspirational actually uh, and then, then there was a few moments where I'm like, that didn't happen. <laughs> you know, so I just, you know, I used my sort of editorial executive powers to sort of change things because I'm like that you weren't there at that point. We told you about it afterwards or, you know, whatever. So there was a little bit of that. That only happened a couple of times. Um, and then the takeaway from the whole thing for me was really having a... Um, a complete history or a more complete history than I'd ever had of my mum's life prior to us. That's a real gift. And I feel like I almost want to say to people, like, if you have any kind of relationship with your parents, get their life story, man, before it's too late. Because these are, these are things I just wouldn't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to necessarily piece it together from family. It, It had to come from her. And so it's a real honor to, have been gifted this at this stage in our both our lives it's fascinating isn't it I think that you can be intimate on the page in a way that you maybe couldn't in conversation even with the people that you were closest to oh yeah 100 percent. but then funny you say that because when I used to because I you know I was born in the UK my mum was born in uh, in Nigeria and so with very different upbringings and expectations and sometimes when we would fall out when I was a kid I couldn't speak to her so I would write her a letter and I would sort of write, when you said this to me, you hurt my feelings and blah, 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 whatever I might have said. And I would leave it on a pillow, cross fingers, <laughs> hope this goes well, <laughs> you know. So you're right, you know, in the written word, sometimes 
you know, you can say things that you might not be able to say to someone face to face. Did the experience make you want to write a memoir? I mean, I guess, you know, in terms of things like stand up, you are doing some storytelling about your life. I, you know, understand that stand up, you take the seeds of what is real and grow them and draw from real experiences. And I think in novels as well, I don't know about you, but I certainly, even though the experiences are imaginary, I tried to bring real emotion to it, but did it give you the urge to to write your story in a uh, memoir form? Not, not so. I don't feel like I've just done enough or experienced enough to for it to to really be interesting. I, I, having said that, I read Will Smith's autobiography pre the slap and I really liked how he did that because it wasn't just it was kind of like a bit of a life manual, you know. It wasn't just this happened and this happened and this is how I felt. Which is fine, you know, autobiographies like that are fine. But his his one was just really great. It was like proper sort of sort of spiritual excavation as well. Thing that what he'd learned on that level. And honestly, having read that, I think I read it about six months before the Oscars. It really sort of gave me a lot of empathy or understanding, should I say, not empathy, understanding of why he did what he did. Obviously, not condoning it. And the fallout is is you know. <laughs> But but it, it made sense. Having read his book, it made sense. But anyway, my point is, I guess, that I wouldn't mind creating something like that. I think that would be more me of like, here's what these things have taught me rather than just these are the things that happened. I mean, I would absolutely love to read that. What do you want to tell us? Or is that an unfair question? Um, Why are you on the spot? Oh, yeah, a bit on the spot. I haven't learned anything, really. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean following your joy like going into stand-up realizing oh this isn't for me back up back the car up (laughs) reversing completely out of the industry and going a different direction and having the faith in my ability to be able to make that choice for myself I say you know following your joy I don't know if that's necessarily the right thing because we've also got to have the fortitude to be able to deal with difficult times as well you don't want to be a constant sort of hedonist or who who can't bear sort of difficulty but Mm. I think there is something about using the heart to navigate and find what where you're supposed to be and head there have that help you find your true north so it's probably stuff like that that I would that I would want to share and just discovering your creativity as well that's you know I had um, a podcast creative source where I'm I'm yeah yeah talking about that all the time because I think it's really important for people to find in whatever capacity you know their enjoyment of creativity because I think that connects you to something that takes you out of the sort of more mundane heady type of experience that we have of the world and allows you to just be because you don't Definitely. have to create for a reason. You can yeah. just, just, I saw, I was looking on someone's Instagram profile and she said some mother of three, da, 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 love cross stitch. And I was like, that's great. And she's not like, I'm trying to, you know, ha- have a business where I sell, sell things made. Yeah. That, she just loves cross stitch. You go, girl. The older I get, the more I think I want us all to do what we love. But sometimes I think for me, it's less complicated if I call it curiosity. Mm. And I think curiosity is creativity and it's not this is a passion and I must achieve these things and it's all going to be magical and perfect and wonderful and I think we put so such enormous pressure on ourselves when we do that and sometimes it's just a case saying I wonder what would happen if I tried this I wonder what this feels like I'm a little bit drawn to this and it's just 
for me, it feels a bit gentler and a bit more comforting. And, it's, and it does mean then, you know, because there are so many things we try and we think, oh, I'd love this. No, I hate it. And it's if it's just curiosity and it's just continually, you know, getting lost. Well, I've wandered around the cul-de-sac and now I'm going to come back out and go up another bit of the road. Yeah, that's so good. That's really healthy because you're right. There's, there's a lot of pressure, I think, um, and a lot of like more dynamic self-help, self-help type people you know, that you might see on socials and stuff, follow your passion, find your passion and pursue it, hustle culture and all the rest of it. And then people who haven't got something that they really feel strongly about might feel like I'm failing now because I am not on this path of sort of David Goggins type, like I'll keep doing this until I'm I'm dead. You know, uh, what what if I just kind of like something or I'm sort of interesting? Should I not bother with it until this magical thing I'm passionate about comes along? Whereas, you know, with curiosity... As you've described it, you can just go, oh, oh no, no, not that one. <laughs> and I go up this road. Yeah, that, oh, that was fun for a bit. And life only becomes like, or, or, or goals or whatever, only become a problem if you are looking at your life in its entirety and you have some idea of like this place that you're supposed to get to. Your whole life could just be one act of curiosity if you mm. want it to be. And there would be nothing wrong with, if, with living your life like that. It's only when we judge progress or have expectations of progress that we're Mm. not meeting somehow. Somehow I'm failing at life because I haven't hit these milestones. I haven't done these things. But maybe curiosity is more the trait to have rather than some sort of hustler, go-gettery, passionate something. It will save us. Let's co-author a self-help book. I think that would be great. Yes. Curiosity helped the cat. (laughs) Oh, nice. And it's a nice little reference to save the cat. There you go. The screenplay book. Job done. (laughs) Andy, I could talk to you all day, but I should probably ask my final question, oh. which is very sad. Um, have you got um, books that you're excited about reading this summer? So um, I'm, I'm reading Homebodies at the moment, and um, I really love the fact that we've both got two uh, plus size central characters. Um, but then, like I say, I'm going back to some, you know, really loved texts. So Queenie. Um, never read white teeth and uh, 26a i just discovered uh diane is it evans no am i oh diane evans diane evans yes. yeah i think i and, think so and so she was at a um the black writers guild had a conference recently and so she was there speaking about her work and everyone nodded when 26a was mentioned i was like oh my god i don't know this book so that my my to be read pile is enormous, but I think those ones are going to sort of sustain me over oh, the summer. They sound strong. They sound really great. That makes me want to go and reread White Teeth because I love it so much. Oh. And I love Zadie Smith so much. And I go back to her essays all the time. And it's that feeling of, in the nicest way, she makes me feel as though like I've thrown myself in a heap and I'm all crumpled up and I don't really know what's going on. And when I read Zadie Smith, her sort of non-fiction in her essays I feel like I've been very gently ironed <laughs> oh wow that's awesome okay so that's right now that's gone on the list as well on zoom I've done this like really bad like ironing mine just in <laughs> case you don't know. I mean I wasn't also, sure but now, <laughs> now, <laughs> what's she doing well, I, I, thought I, I heard ironing but what I saw was combing so uh-huh. uh, <laughs> we could you know yeah we could be creative with with our miming so yeah so there's there's a few but I mean it's just you know like I say it's a it's a balance of like 
professional requirement to have read certain mm-hmm. things, but also just getting back to the pure joy of enjoying a story well told. And as you say, I think sometimes when everything feels like work, we don't really know how to make time for things that aren't. And I think when the lovely thing about being a writer is reading you sort of you feel like you can always justify it like it's always a really useful thing to do as well as an enormously pleasurable one and I think sometimes that helps us to to keep going and keep doing it and reaping those infinite rewards yeah and also I'm I like to binge watch a bit of telly and so it's so nice to have a space that's very still and peaceful away from that you know I'll put on a bit of music get my book and just sit on the sofa and it and it feels really weird because I'm so normally there to 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 watch a tv show to to be there with a book just feels really timeless and lovely and I and I am not and I don't think I ever will be a kindle person so having a physical book in my hand not listening to an audiobook not 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 with an ebook great formats but you know like just being there with a physical copy of a book is just really really nice and I say Alexa put on some gentle jazz and then she starts playing Kenny G and I'm like not that <laughs> <laughs> oh Andy I cannot think of a better note to end on than Kenny G no oh, pun intended no. <laughs> um, it has been an absolute joy and I'm so excited about tough crowd congratulations you've got many excited readers who are desperate to get their hands on that one thank you it's lovely to see you and talk to you again huge thanks to andy tough crowd is published by hq and out on the 20th of july you can find a list of all the books andy mentioned at acast.com slash booked and shop from a selection at bookshop.org your booked is created by me daisy buchanan and dale shaw and edited and produced by dale shaw for new alaska We are so grateful to everyone who shares the podcast, shouts about it, and especially to everyone who has given us a five-star review. If you haven't done it yet, it really is the best way to help people to find the podcast, and it means we can keep bringing brilliant book chat to your ears. Finally, I leave you with this from Carrie Fisher. My earliest addiction was reading. Though books, however mind-altering, don't quite qualify as a drug. If they did, you'd have to go to Readerhab. See you next time. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.